you don't know, I'm the white guy. <laughs> Lisa, I didn't know. All these years. <laughs> when I started out in ministry, of course, we went to seminary, and one of the things you had to do was you had to get a job in a local church. Now, they didn't phrase it that way. What you had to do was perform ministry in a local church setting. But what you really had to do was get a job in a local church. It was a part of the graduation requirements and so forth. And uh, as a result of that, your name would be put on a list, and, and guys in the, or pastors in the local community who needed somebody to come and, and do grunt work would, would come and, and, uh, and, and enlist some of these seminary students to, to work for them and so forth. Well, uh, I, I had an interview, and I walked into the room, and there was a black pastor. And uh, that, that was fine. And he said, yeah, what I want to do is I would like you to come and be the associate pastor of my church. I said, oh, oh, okay. He says, I want you to, uh, to preach once a Sunday. Um, and then he said, and I want you to drive me around on all my visits. <laughs> so I, I sort of figured out what it was. But uh, during the course of the conversation, I said, well, you're a black pastor of an all-black church with an all-black staff. Why do you want a white guy to come and be on staff? He said, well, I'll tell you. He says, in the black church, we like to celebrate. He says, we get loud when we celebrate. Am I right? Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. He says, we just rejoice all the time. And, he says, and, and when you're preaching, things are happening, and it's loud, and it's exciting. And he said, and I thought it would be good for the people once in a while to hear a sermon that was boring. <laughs> So I didn't qualify for the job, huh? <laughs> okay. I mean, that, was, that was right, yeah. But uh, look, I, I could not have made that story up. All right. but that, so I, I, was, I was in line for being the boring pastor uh, of that church. But uh, uh, anyway, we can still rejoice. Uh, and if you want to get loud, that's all right. You know, there's some things we, we, we just would like to see out of the black tradition. And one of the things is, is that when, a, when, when, when a, the, the preacher's delivering the sermon, you've got a job to do, Amen. right? Because the devil's trying to stop him from delivering the Word of God. And if you don't pray him through that sermon, he's, he's going down. So that's, that's why the amens, and that's why the preach it brother, and that's why the hallelujah, and that's why the go on, is because there's something definite going on when the Word of God is being preached. So uh, uh, some of us know it. Some of us could learn something uh, from that. Uh, let's look at the, uh, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 16. And uh, we'll just look at the first two verses. This chapter coming at the end of the letter uh, is basically Paul saying, well, a couple of the people here say hi to you there, and uh, I want to say hi to a bunch of you people there that I've met over the years. And so it's, it's basically sending greetings back and forth. Uh, there's some 27 or better names that, that he mentions there that talks about sending greetings. And um, yeah, yeah, you look at that and you figure, well, that's... That's not a lot of spiritual stuff there. Just say, say, hey, yeah, hey, hi, hi back at you, you know, that, that kind of thing. But you have to remember that all in Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. Romans chapter 16 is the inspired Word of God. 
And we have to ask ourselves, why did God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, inspire Paul to send greetings to these people in this way? And why did God, by his providential care, make sure that we wound up with chapter 16 still in our Bibles? And what is the Holy Spirit trying to say to us now as we read Romans chapter 16? Because it is still the Word of God to us. And so for the next uh, couple of weeks or so, we're going to be looking at a few of the people in, uh, in Romans chapter 16. Most of them, we know almost nothing about them except what is in this chapter. And so we'll have to do a little detective work in looking um, at words and, and phrases and just try to visualize what these people were like. But we're going to be looking at that as we see this great company of God's people that, that he used and he brought together and he worked them together in a marvelous way as the gospel was being preached in the first century. So this morning we'll look at, cha- at, at verses 1 and 2, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we run into a person named Phoebe. Uh, We know nothing about her except what we find here. Uh, There's several things said about her. It said that she is a servant. Uh, The Greek word there is diakonos. It's the same word that we get the word deacon from. It's not talking about the office. It's talking about the function that she was serving her church in in Sincrea, uh, that she was performing uh, those kinds of actions that would, that would enable the church to, to fulfill its purpose and its mission as the body of Christ. So she was a servant, uh, says also that she was a patron. Um, and that word patron can be a little daunting. In fact, most modern translations don't say patron. What they do is they'll say, Phoebe was a helper. She was a helper to many, and she was a helper to me. Unfortunately, the word there is not the word for helper. It is the word prostasis. That pretty much settles it, doesn't it? Prostatus. And um, that is the word in Greek that you would use to translate the Latin for patron. In Roman society, there was a whole stratification uh, throughout society. You, you had your nobility, your, your senators and your equestrians and so forth. And then you had your, 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 your free folks who were... Um, not wealthy and didn't own land, and then, you, then there was the slave class, and so you had this three-tiered kind of society going on. And if you were a part of the nobility class and had the wealth, it was your responsibility, your social responsibility, to find somebody who was in the lower class and make them your client. And that's what you would be called. And as a client, as a person in the lower class, you had to find somebody in the upper class to go to bat for you, and that was called your patron. The patron was the person who would give you resources so that you could get a job and survive. As a client, you had to return loyalty and service to your patron. That's one of the reasons why it is sort of a negative thing to, to, uh, for somebody to treat you in a patronizing way. And we'll say that, don't patronize me. And what we mean by that is don't act like you're above me and better than I am and that I'm dependent upon you. Don't look down on me is what we mean when we say don't patronize me. But uh, the word patron um, here in, this, in, in the Roman sense was, was uh, talking about that sense of here's someone using their resources to help other people out as a, sort of a business-type arrangement. Uh, by the way, uh, we use the word today, patron, to mean someone who's a customer. And uh, that's actually a way to honor the customer to say, you are patronizing me. You are giving your business to me so that my business will succeed. So it's, it's sort of a compliment when you say, um, thank you for your patronage. 
uh, in, in that regard. So uh, when we read that word patron, the, the temptation is to see it in that Roman context. And the reason we don't like that is it's, it's this class thing, it's this status thing, it's this top-down thing, and to call her a patron would, would be sort of to buy into that Roman system. Now, the Romans weren't the only game in town. The Jews also had a system that looked a lot like patronage, but it functioned entirely differently. For the Jews, a person who had wealth had the responsibility to support the synagogue. They didn't um, have people who now had to do their bidding and obey them and serve them and all that. They simply gave their money so that the synagogue could be built, so the doors could be kept open, so that the lights could be uh, put on and could be heated, literature could be bought, and kids could be sent to camp. Uh, that, was, that was the understanding of Jewish patronage, was that because God had blessed you with great wealth, you would give it to the community of God's people so they might have the resources to worship and to serve God and to grow as God's family. So that was the Jewish sense of patronage. So I think a lot of modern translations don't use the word patron. They use the word helper because they don't want to be tied to the um, idea of Roman patronage. But in our translation, the English Standard Version, it goes with the more literal meaning of the word prostatus and um, ties more into the Jewish sense of patronage. Are we all together on this? Because I knew you were going to look at that word and not know what it meant. Now you know. Lisa, if you want to say amen right now. Thank you. <laughs> Get me through this. Okay. All right. All right, so let's start reading at, at uh, verse 1, chapter 16. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, there have been times in our lives when we were desperate for you. We were just longing for your presence and your power and your blessings. Times in our lives when we have been desperate to see your hand working in our midst. Father, those moments of desperation were moments in which we were tired and exhausted, had come to the end of our resources and had nothing left in the tank, and we were desperate for you. Father, we grow lackadaisical and complacent, but this morning coming to you, we are still desperate for you because apart from you, we have nothing. Without you, there is no wisdom. Apart from you, Father, there is no strength and there's no power. Father, without you, we are lost and wandering. Father, we are desperate for you, desperate for your grace, desperate for your, your word to inhabit our hearts, desperate, Father, that you would lead and guide us, desperate, Father, that you would use us. Father, we are still desperate for you because of who you are, who we are, standing in constant, desperate need of your grace. Father, keep us ever desperately hanging on to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether we acknowledge it or not, all of us have benefited from the kindness, the generosity, the willingness of others who have been our benefactors and our patrons. 
I guess you would start just in childhood years. I know for me, my folks paid for my college education, uh, didn't come out with any student debt. Wasn't that marvelous? Anybody wants to applaud you? Okay. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, was, uh, that was a fine thing for me. Years later, Dad was paying off his debt, but it wasn't mine. But, um, but I benefited from that kind of patronage that he had for me because he loved me. I went to seminary and got the, uh, the master's degree and the uh, Ph.D. degree, and in both cases, my education was paid for by the Southern Baptist Convention. They don't do it anymore. I guess they looked at me and figured it was a mistake. But at that time, uh, they offered free theological education to young men going into the ministry, and so I went to seminary and got two graduate degrees, and it was paid for by people like you. Thank you so much much uh, for, for being faithful in your giving. I have benefited by the, by the patronage and the benefaction of others, and we all have. That's sort of the way God has put us together, that we benefit from the generosity of one another. You know, there have been great patrons in history. There have been great patrons of the arts. Uh, one of my favorite stories has to do with uh, George Friedrich Handel, who um, as I understand the story, and if you Google it and I'm wrong, don't tell me because it's a great story. But uh, he had a patron in Germany, and uh, in one of the uh, provinces of Germany, and his patron had him there and, and paid his way so that he would write music for his patron in Germany. And one day Handel got an invitation to come to London. His patron said, well, you can go for a few months, but you got to come back. Handel said, I will, I will, I'll come back. And he went to London, and he never came back. He thought he got away with it, but then his patron was asked by the British Parliament to come and be George I, King of England, right there in London. And I don't know what that conversation looked like, but uh, Handel got caught on that one. Uh, we've had great patrons. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Solomon Guggenheim. You may not have heard of him, but maybe you've heard of the Guggenheim uh, Art Museum in Chicago, I think it is. Uh, it's housed in one of the great architectural wonders of America. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright building, and it's it's just amazing. You've got to go see it. I, I never have. But anyway, but the Guggenheim Art Museum, he was a patron of the arts in a magnificent building that people talk about even today. But what I want to tell you is this. The day is coming when every brick in the Guggenheim Art Museum is going to be torn down and there'll be nothing but a hole there where it used to be. One day it will be gone. And one day you won't say Guggenheim, you'll say Guggenheim. But we will still thank God for Phoebe, whose name has been enshrined in, enshrined in scriptures. The scriptures, the word of God that never passes away. Oh, when you're a patron of the gospel, you don't get a plaque somewhere. You don't get a, an, a, a, a nice plaque explaining how wonderful you were in contributing to gospel. What you get first is your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then you get a thousand, a million people who have been touched by your generosity for the sake of the gospel. One of the things, Bert, we're going to do is we're going to tell our stories of how we became Christians. And one of the things we're going to have to talk about is who, the, all the people God used through the pages of human history before the gospel got to us. And one of the people we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about Phoebe, and we're going to agree, Phoebe had a role in my salvation. You don't think so? 
Phoebe was the one who brought the letter of the Romans to Rome. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans and, and Phoebe was coming through, she, she lived in, in, in Sincreo. It was a little port town, uh, just a, a little distant from Corinth. She came to Corinth where Paul was writing. She said, you know, I'm on my way to Rome. He says, I've got a letter. Can you take it for me? Sure, I can. He entrusted the epistle to the Romans to Phoebe. And while she traveled with this letter in her handbag, frightening thought, as she was traveling along, this precious word of God existed in only one place, in possession of only one person, and she was faithful to deliver it to its destination. Because Phoebe was faithful, countless generations of Christians have been blessed and have been lifted up by the glorious proclamation of the gospel that Paul sets forth. We've been looking at it for the last 18 months, two years. We've been looking at, the, at this epistle to the Romans, and it started with the faithfulness of a woman who brought it from Paul the author, the human author, and brought it to its destination, and it has been read ever since. Oh, Phoebe was a patron of the gospel, and I would just encourage you this morning to be a patron of the gospel. You're saying, I don't have a lot of money. You don't need a lot of money to be a patron the way Phoebe was a patron. Did you notice how it worked in her life? Paul said, first of all, to be a patron of the gospel. She was a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister. We just appreciate that. I told the story of, of being interviewed for, for a position in a black church, and one of the things Debbie said to me was, if we take that church, they better not call me Sister Debbie. <laughs> I said, they won't. They'll call you Mother Superior. And so that, you know, that just... <laughs> and that pretty much settled it. So, but, uh, uh, but Paul said, Phoebe is our sister, our sister in Christ. What is the kinship we have? The kinship is we have that we have come into the presence of Jesus. We have seen his love for us manifest on the cross where he gave his life to die for us. We have seen him taken down from the cross, dead, buried, laid in a tomb. We thought it was over, but we've seen the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And because God can raise Jesus from the dead, he raises us up into a newness of life. We have all come to that moment where Jesus encountered us on our own road to Damascus and he turned us around and he sent us to a place we never thought we'd go to do things we never thought we'd do to speak a gospel that we had not known before. And we proclaim that gospel of Jesus Christ because we have come to know him. We share that with our sister Phoebe. And I encourage you to be a, a, a patron of that gospel that changed your life, that radically transformed who you are and how you live, that you would become a a patron contributing to the work of the gospel. Paul said, first of all, she was a believer. First of all, she gave herself to Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you do not know him this morning, do not delay. The Savior is waiting. The Savior is waiting. I cannot promise you this is the last day you'll have a chance to receive Christ, but I cannot promise you that you'll have another either. That's how critical it is. Phoebe was a patron because she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and as her Savior. She was a patron of the gospel because she gave herself to the work of the gospel. Paul put it that way. He said, she is a servant to her church there in Sincrea. 
You probably never heard of this in Korean church. You may have read about it when you read this verse one time in your daily devotions, but it's gone out of your head. It's not one of the big churches we talk about. There's no letter to the Synchrean churches. It's not, it's not thought of among Christians in general at all. But that church was precious to Phoebe. That church was important to her. That was her church. That was her family. That was her body of believers. That's where she learned. That's where she heard the gospel. That's where her children went to Sunday school. That's where her family was being raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That church in Sincrea meant the world to Phoebe. And she was a servant of that church. Oh, it's not because she had great ability. You know, that doesn't matter. You realize that, don't you? When we were back in Romans chapter 12, surely you got the message that God isn't interested in what you are able to do. He's only interested in what you will allow him to do through you. If God sets a need in front of you, you say, I don't have the skills, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the training, I don't have the ability. All you need to have is the gift of God's Holy Spirit given to every believer. And if you've got the Holy Spirit of God, there's nothing you cannot do that God has asked you to do. If God sets a task before you, he will give you the resources to do what he's asked you to do. And so Phoebe was a servant of her church, and she gave of herself to that. Oh, that we would have a church full of people like Phoebe who were willing to give their time as patrons of the gospel so that the word would go forth and disciples would be made, that little children would come to him. She loved her church, and she gave herself as a servant to her church. But then Phoebe became a habitual giver, a habitual generous person, it was all, we get the, well, I, let me tell you where I get that. It says, she has been a patron of many, not one or two, not just of Paul, not just of a superstar, not just of somebody who's got a, a worldwide ministry that everybody knows. She became a patron of Paul, yes, but of many others that we don't even know about. She became a patron of so many that have been lost to the pages of human history but are known when God writes down, here's what he was doing throughout history. We're going to see the names of those, and they'll say, I could do that because Phoebe gave her her wealth for me, gave her resources for me. Oh, there'll be many names on that kind of a list. Do you remember back in, in Luke chapter 8 in the first two, three verses? There it says that Jesus was going through uh, the countryside and he was preaching uh, the kingdom of God and he was teaching the people. And then the verse says, and the disciples were with him. Well, what's news about that? We always knew that the disciples went with Jesus. That's a picture we all have. But we don't read the second verse there in Luke chapter 8. And it says, and with him were women. With him were many women who had had uh, demons cast out of them, who had had illnesses uh, healed in their lives. Women who had had their lives changed in radically transformed. One of them was Mary Magdalene, seven demons taken out of her. One of them was, was Susanna. One of them was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who, who was the steward of Herod's uh, uh, household. But at the end of that verse in Luke, I think it's 8-2, at the end of that verse it says, and they were supporting him out of their means. These women were paying the tab for the ministry of Jesus. We don't think of it that way. We think, well, Jesus was son of God. I mean, he didn't have to worry about a tab. You know, he ever got the bill in a restaurant? He just created some money, left it there. Probably created a pretty good tip. You remember that, don't you? <laughs> you know, somebody had to pick up the tab. Somebody had to buy the food. 
you know, you remember the disciples went into town and while Jesus spoke with a woman at the well in, in Samaria and the disciples went into town to try to find something to eat. What do you think they were going to go do? Steal a loaf of bread? What do you think they were going to go do? Just sort of hoodwink people out of a burger? They were going to go buy something to eat. Where'd they get the money? Well, the ladies gave it to them. Sort of like my life now. <laughs> But these women were patrons of the ministry of Jesus. The money had to come from somewhere. The support and resources had to come from somewhere. And these women stepped up and they said, we'll be the ones. And so when Paul says, I I commend to you, Phoebe, I I want you to to, to receive her, give her whatever assistance she needs. She's going to be settling into a new house in Rome. You help her find where the laundry is and and where the doctors and dentists are. You help her find out where the grocery store is. You help her find out where the shoe store is. But, you you know, you just help her uh, find her way. You give her all the help you can because here's why. She's a patron of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She gives of herself. She gives of her time. And she gives to many that the gospel of Christ would be advanced and it would go forward. I'm so thankful that we are in in a generous church. I'm thankful that we're in a church that God has so richly blessed us. Not just just the the material blessings of it, that's a manifestation of it, but blessed us with folks whose hearts have been moved by the Spirit of God to lay their possessions on the line and to be patrons of the gospel in a financial way. Patrons of the gospel in a service way. Patrons of the gospel in a witnessing and ministering way. And what I'd like to challenge you this morning to do and to be is that you would be a patron of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, what does that mean? That means everything you have belongs to him. Everything you have belongs to him. And wherever there's a need, if you can meet it and God opens the door and gives you the opportunity, it is not a burden but a privilege. It's not something painful, but it's a blessing. It's not something that is excruciating to do, but it's something that is joyful and liberating that we might be able to contribute to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to encourage you to be a patron of the gospel so that when there is a need, and someone needs to hear, you would shower the good news of Jesus Christ on that person and into their lives. I would just love for you to, to identify yourself as a patron of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, maybe you think of yourself, not in that word, but you think of yourself as a patron already of other things. Oh, I like to support fill in the blank. I like to support um, children's baseball. I, I, I like to support the theater. I, I like to support the arts. But what a privilege it is to love to support the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this week, let that that be just at the front of your head, at the the front of your thinking, that in every part of your life, and wherever you go, whoever you encounter, whatever's going on, that you would think of yourself, I'm a patron of the gospel. How can I give that the gospel would be advanced? How can I be involved that the gospel would be brought forward? How can I give my life and my resources so that someone else would hear about Jesus Christ. And then you can be a patron of the gospel. And your name, though not enshrined in Scripture, will be written down in the Lamb's book of life, known for all eternity. And you'll be right there next to Phoebe. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so very, very much that you give us resources beyond measure. And then, Father, that you call us to usefulness and you call us to be be workers in the kingdom. 
And you give us this great privilege of having our lives connected to what you are doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for the folks in this room. I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that each one would come to have a deeper and deeper desire to serve you and to make Jesus known in the world. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.